Good evening, LCM. Y'all ready to have a good night? Are y'all ready to have a good night? Buddy Brasso called me, told me to slow down. Y'all ready to have a good night? Slow down. Good evening, LCM. Tonight is June 16th. And the title of today's sermon is Get to Work. Get to Work? Come on, somebody say that. Say, Get to Work. We want to hop straight into scripture tonight. Is that all right with you? Well, in the words of a wise man that I know, even if it's not, that's what we're going to do. Turn to Psalm 119, 18. When you get there, say, get to work. Yeah, brother. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. That is a beautiful scripture, ain't it? You know what's even more beautiful? Is that it's going to happen tonight. The Lord is going to open our eyes tonight. Are you ready for that? We not, we, can we pray? Is that all right? I know we don't. Can we pray? Lord, we are praying that you open our eyes tonight, Lord God, to what you have before us, Father. Lord God, open our eyes to the path that you've laid out before us, Lord God. Lord, open our eyes, God, to the things that you have already given us to do, mighty God. Father, we are submitting to you, Lord. We are surrendering to you, Father. And we're saying, Lord, let your spirit come here in power, Lord God, to move your people into your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We at LCM are abounding in the revelation of God's word. Our eyes are being opened collectively, but even more so as individuals. In our very own precious time with the Lord, our eyes are being opened to the word that we have. Our eyes are being opened to the personal responsibility and the privilege that you have to step up, step up, and raise up. Say that with us. Step up and raise up. Brother Linton, speaking of stepping up and raising up, just a brief recap from Sunday. First thing we learned from Sunday's sermon is If you see something out of order, like, I'm not really sure I see it. It looks funny, but something out of order. According to Deuteronomy 22, it says, do not ignore it. Yeah. Why? Because we are to step up into it. We also learn that what do you do when you've stepped up? Now I'm here. I've stepped into the chaos. What do you do? What do you do? Raise you got to raise it up. We learned that as you step into the chaos, you raise up God's right order, and you bring his right order into that situation. We also learned that God's word is flawless. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to, to examine it to, to see if you can put some input. No need to subtract. His word is flawless. His flawless word causes us to step up into the chaos, his flawless word causes us to raise his word and establish right order. The secret is that he's going to raise us up. Talking about raising us up, we being raised up in Monday Night Foundations, ain't we? Are you being blessed by Monday Night Foundations? Specifically, are you being blessed by this past Monday Night's word? Because I know you've been listening to it. We have. We are learning, and it's something that is, that is not common. It is rare. Rare. We are learning that the amount of heavenly manna that is descending upon us, how revelatory it is. It is revolutionizing our view, our foundation, and it's making it firm. Amen. You know, when I got here, because all I really read was the, Old Te- uh, the New Testament, when I read the Bible, I thought I knew what the Old Testament was about. But I'm learning just how much I didn't know what the New Testament is about, what the Brit Hadashad is about. But through the foundational raising up that we've been given through men exalting God's word, my foundation of the Newer Testament is being shored up. As a matter of fact, it's being secured and it's making me a secure son. How about you? Key takeaways from Monday night. We are being given the tools to put the Brit Hadashah on its proper foundation. And in doing so, we're beginning to understand God's ultimate goal. Not our ultimate comfort, but God's ultimate goal. More clearly, the gospel is about God's purpose. I'm going to say that again. The gospel is about 
God's purpose. And I thought I knew that Monday night. But the thing about Revelation, it, it, it always builds. And it was added to on Monday night. And the plans that he has in store for his people, Israel. And as one ancient Jewish theologian put it, it was a mystery that you and I could even be included in that purpose. Now that makes me want to praise the Lord. How about you? From Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to today. Yeah. In this house, we have been faithfully time and time and time and again given plenty to chew on and meditate on. Am I right? Yeah. After Sunday, do you have leftovers from yes. the message? After Monday, do you have leftovers from the message? We're given so much in this house. And what we do, but what we're being given is of profound importance. Yeah. See, in this house, it is our responsibility to be like the Bereans we read about in Acts 17 11. In receiving these awesome revelations with great eagerness. Man, when the guys arrived on Monday night and we're praying ourselves hot, were you guys not eager to receive the word of God? Yeah. See, God is building Bereans in this house. Like the Bereans, we're to examine the scriptures for ourselves, wrestle with it, and just to see how true what we've been given really is. And it causes us, it causes us to persevere as we wrestle. It causes us to, to, to examine the scriptures and to see what these brothers, what our pastors are giving us, it's doubly true. And it causes us to have a noble heart as we pursue it. Yeah. What we're learning is that when you, when you really wrestle with the word of God, like the Bereans, they, they, they took the word that Paul gave and then they went and they studied it with eagerness. And it said that God had a, that they had a noble heart. Now, we've talked about the scripture. I don't think it's just that, just that they were studious. I don't think it's that they were uh, smarter than the rest. I think that noble heart, this is my interaction with the word. I think that noble heart is that they were eager to receive so that they can go out and do. Yeah. God isn't looking for a, a, a perpetual student. He's teaching us how to be like him. As a matter of fact, our pastors told us Sunday is that we are like him in this world. And we want to receive the word like a Berean with a noble heart to receive it, to interact with it ourselves, and then take it out and go and produce something. And when you, when you receive the word and it actually has an impact on you, it has to produce action. Can you say amen? amen. Talking about this action, it's our responsibility. Have you ever asked yourself, how do I know if I'm supposed to step into this tense situation, right? How do I know if I personally need to get involved? Can I just send a text or, uh, you know, just, just pray for him over here? How do we know whether or not we're supposed to get involved? Don't you, don't you, wouldn't you like a, a sign that, that hey, this is something that God wants you to do? This is the sign. God put you there. You were, you were put in the situation and your eyes saw it. Is that not right? You, like, <laughs> you want a sign? There's the sign. You know what? We're learning to read our signs, and God is going to open our eyes to the signs tonight. In a particular situation, you might want a, a marker. You might want a, a signal, a, manual, a monument, or an event, you know, a, a road sign to know that I'm heading in the right direction, right? Let's look at the book of Mark and see if we can get some clarity on where we're going. Turn to Mark 16 and verse 19. We get to the book of Mark in chapter 16, say, get to work. Mark 16, picking up in verse 19, says this. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. That in itself can be an entire different sermon. Verse 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. In context of Matthew 16, in context of this passage, Jesus is at the end of his ministry on earth. And as he's speaking to his disciples, as they're having conversation, they hear what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 19. After, Jesus, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them. They're hearing his words. 
he is speaking to them. The next thing that takes place is he was taken into heaven. They heard his word, and he was taken into heaven. Him being taken into heaven is a sign of the word that, he's been, that he spoke to them. Yeah. Ask yourself, when was the last time you saw somebody just levitate? It's not something that is common. They hear Jesus' word, and they see him being taken up into heaven as a sign. We learn further in Acts 1, as it expounds on this, they're looking up in the sky, seeing Jesus being taken up, and there are two men that appear to them saying things like, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. Amen. So let me ask a question. When the Son of Man appears, when he comes back a second time, isn't it a sign that all the world is going to see? Yeah. You mean to tell me that his disciples got just a glimpse of that? They heard him. He ascends before them, and we know he's going to come back. See, as he ascends into heaven, the disciples have to do something. There's now a sort of perceived lack of leadership. Yeah. Now, that, that was a miraculous sign, an awesome sign. Lord, it is, it is good for us to be here. We're seeing the heavens opened. But that's the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. But it's not the end of the work. They got to pick it up. They got to hear his commands, perceive it, and they got to get to work. So as Jesus is, is being lifted up and he's leaving them, they may say like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? You, you saw that often he had, to, he had to comfort his disciples and say, hey, it's better for you that I go. It's, it's actually better. And they're like, Jesus, how could that be true? But, Lord, we know you don't lie. They heard his word. They heard the command. And then they saw a miraculous sign that at the very same time was a sign to them that there was something that they needed. There was a perceived lack of, of resource, but that was not it. The Lord was drawing them into the work. They heard his word, they saw the sign, and they got to work. That's no different in our lives. We hear God's word, we see the signs, and we move forward in the work that he's called us to engage in. As we saw this in Mark 16, I said, say, bro, I have a question. (laughs) In Mark 16, I'm wondering if there's a pattern here. They heard his word, they saw the sign, and they got to work. What if, it's, what if this particular passage and this pattern we think we're seeing is not just isolated to Mark 16? This is, this is our inner dialogue at the yeah, house, yeah. right? What if it's not just isolated to the book of Mark? What if? Perhaps. Perhaps. Just maybe. Maybe. Maybe our eyes need to be open to see what is already, already written in God's law. Amen. So with that being said... You turn to the book of Genesis. Come on. It's almost like the the prophecy that's in Scripture has a a pattern to it. It has a cycle. And God is showing us what those cycles mean. Genesis chapter 17. Say, get to work when you get there. Says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face, Abram fell face down and God said to him. Now let's just pause here before we move on. The first thing that we see here in light of the pattern is Abram hears God speaking to him. Yeah. He hears God's word. There's dialogue taking place. It's almost like Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's look at verse 3 again. Abram fell face down and God said, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. The next thing we see here that God does for Abram is he changes his name. Oh, amen. Abram hears God, and God changes his name. Abram's name being changed 
is a promise that God is making that this will come to pass. Hold up, Bim. You're telling me that when God speaks, when he engages with his creation and speaks a word, it changes the man? That sounds a little bit like, like Abraham is being secured as a son. It sounds a little bit like something that God has been doing, in, been doing in us. As we hear the word, and I don't mean just listen to it. I mean hear what God is saying to you personally about you being a secure son. It changes your name, and you're starting to see a sign. Changes your name, changes your identity, and it's a promise, and it's a sign. It's a marker. It's a monument. It's everything. The sign of his name being changed was the mechanism by which Abram was being transformed Come and on. was able to partner with God by stepping into what God was calling him into. Come on. He was able to step into God's will, and God's word in him was not without effect. Keep in mind, in verse 1, it says Abraham was 99. 99. 99 years old. At the age of 99, what could he possibly do? I'm 30. And I feel like my bodies are decaying. My body's decaying. My bones are decaying right now. <laughs> Abraham is 99. What could he possibly do at that age? And yet, God is saying, this will happen. So, apart from his body feel, feeling like it's physically dead, apart from him being a stranger in a land that is not his own, yeah. apart from seeing all these things around him, there's a supernatural work in Abram that what God said will come to pass. And Abraham held on to God's word. Amen. That's no different than us in this room. We hear his word. There's a sign. And when you think about it, he says that Abram will be a father. He said, you will be, and I have made you. Let's, let's really wrestle with this. Yeah. Where in this point in history is anybody calling Abraham the father of many nations? Nowhere. No, not at all. God is calling it. He's able to call those things that are not as though they were. Come on. And you know what? Truthfully speaking, as we're interacting with this word right now, he's doing it in us. Yes. I know he's doing it in you. God is able to call something as though it were, even though right now it, you may not see it. There's a perceived lack, and we can think that that perceived lack is what, uh, what it should encourage us to step back. It's almost like uh, those, those powers are in the woods, and they're playing that loud music, causing you to be confused. But the sign is that the perceived lack is actually what God is using to bring Abraham into the promise. Abraham can't do it by himself, and you can't do it by, by yourself. The perceived lack is to get you to cry out to God, to be dependent on him, yeah. and you will be what he said you were. Yeah. This is the mechanism. This is the process by which we are transformed. This is the way to all my uh, Mandalorian fans. This is the way by which God transforms us and we become a partner in his will. He heard the word. He saw the signs that God was doing, and he got to work. Abraham didn't just sit around and wait after God came and talked to him. He he didn't sit around and wait after God told him what would happen. He got to work. You know in Genesis 18 that that he had had work to do in his family, raising up the generations. You know that he had 318 trained men. Abraham wasn't a lazy man. And as I'm interacting with this passage, I can see that I hear the word. I love what it says. I'm seeing the signs. And then I'm waiting for what's going to come on the other side of the work. Like I want affirmation on this side instead of after the work has been accomplished. That's not, that's not who we're called to be, is it? That's not who you're called to be. We're called to hear God's word. Be able to perceive the signs. There's no lack. It may be perceived as a lack. But we're called to perceive the signs that this is what God is using. This is the mechanism. This is the process that he is using to transform us. Somebody say amen. Amen. In Exodus 3. You can turn to Exodus 3.12. Say, get to work when you're there. Now, this is LCM. I'm sure this passage is no stranger to you. If you know me, you know it's not a stranger to me. 
But we're going we're gonna to hear what the Lord is saying to Moses and how it impacts us. And I promise you, God is going to do something. In Exodus 3.12, God said, I will be with you. Why is God having to say, I will be with you? It's because you, if you, you've read through Exodus 3, you know the task that Moses just got assigned. You know the monumental uh, sign that God gave Moses, the task that he gave him. Hey, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt that you fled from. Go talk to the number one superpower in the world and tell them with no military backing, no, no, no support, no strength of your own arm. Let my people go now. Now. Go, Moses. This is LCM. You know this story, right? What happened after Moses approached the burning bush? The Lord spoke to him and he heard God's word, right? Did God give Moses a sign that he was sending him? Yes, Yes, he did. He turned water into blood. Moses became leprous and then he was healed. He turned a staff into a a snake. That sounds good, don't it? That's a supernatural sign, is it not? These signs, both the signs that he did receive and the signs that he would receive, they were the mechanism, the vehicle, the process by which Moses was being transformed. And he was learning to partner with God's will, and the word was not without affecting him. Moses got the word. Now, there may have been some perceived lack, like, Lord, I, 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 I can't speak. Lord, I can't do this. I can't do that. Lord, send somebody else. There may have been a perceived lack, but God was already providing for Moses. How many of you know that when God calls you to a task, he, don't call, he doesn't call you to go alone, yeah. right? We're learning that. He was already sending Moses. How about that? The Lord provides when he calls us to do his commands. And what we, as his son soldiers, are learning to do is to take that word, to process it, to see the signs, to see what we are to engage, and then get to work. Yeah. Somebody say get to work. It actually kind of reminds me of the sons of Issachar yeah. who knew the times and the seasons and they knew it was time to appoint David as king. That's what we're called to do. Hear his word, perceive the signs, and get to work. Come on. Now, it may have been perceived as an impossible task. He was facing down a world power. He had no military backing. He was alone, at least it seemed that way. It would have required supernatural power to come to pass. But you know what Moses did? Moses held to the word and got to work. Turn to Joshua 3. We get to Joshua chapter 3. Say, get to work. Picking up in verse 9, it says this. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. What's required to hear God's word? You got to draw near. Yeah. We draw near to him, he draws near to us. Joshua heard God's word, and now he is transmitting the word to the people. Joshua heard, and now he's speaking those same words to the people. Let's dive into the details of what Joshua actually said to them in Joshua chapter 4, picking up in verse 4. You guys there? It says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it, crossed the, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the nation of Israel, they've come out of their 40-year their transformation in the desert. They're now in the promised land. And between them and actually fighting for the promise is a Jordan that is at flood stage. Turn around, don't drown. How many things that does the Lord call us into that look like it's at flood stage? 
right? The Lord is telling you to move on from your job, to get a new job, but it's something beyond your ability. It's beyond what you can perceive that you can do. It feels like flood stage. I remember in 2016 when the Lord spoke to go on a mission trip. What if it was, Lord have mercy. <laughs> there was an excitement, but also there was some trepidation. And the reason why is because I had to face my family, which felt like flood stage. <laughs> right? Your relatives, those that you love, those who should support you, but they don't. It felt like flood stage. And I perceived that. And I knew what the Lord was speaking in that moment. Look at what it goes on to say. Actually, in verse 7, I'll read that again. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The sign in this particular scenario for the Israelites was the crossing of the Jordan was at flood stage. And this was the mechanism, the vehicle, the, the process by which they were to step into the promised land to fight for their land. That's encouraging, ain't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a flood stage. Here. You ask, you're looking at me like, I think he's losing his mind a little bit. How is that encouraging? It's a sign. Yeah. It's a sign that there's something that needs to place, needs to take place. And I know I heard God's word. I know I heard what he said. I, I can't deny it. I know he's telling me to go on this mission trip. I know that he has called me to pastor. I know that he's called me to a new level of faithfulness that right now I do not yet possess. And my emotions are like flood stage. They're running crazy. They, they, they crash and they're knocking everything down. What does that cause Joshua to do? Joshua doesn't have the power in and of himself. But there is one who does. And the one who does is empowering Joshua. Joshua, And he will empower Joshua. What about your flood stage? What about, what, what has God called you into that you're like, God, are you, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to take my family uh, to the middle of that map? Yes. That is the sign. And what we're learning to do, we're learning to have our eyes open to see things from God's perspective. That, hey, I'm going to do something in you that should not be, be possible. Like, like two, million two million people or more should not be able to cross a river during flood stage. They shouldn't be able to. But they did. What about us? What about you? What is your flood stage? What is the promise that seems impossible like Abraham? What is the, the military power that you're facing down like Moses? What is it that seems like it's at flood stage? That you're wondering, is this really a sign from God? Like, this literally don't make sense. A lot of y'all laughed when I said, uh, turn around, don't drown. Y'all laughed, right? That was funny. <laughs> but that's what our flesh does when God takes us into a situation. Turn around, don't drop. Don't go into that difficult situation. Don't go into the thing that would actually cause me to be transformed instead of being accommodated. Don't go there. The flesh is screaming. But the spirit of our father is drawing us into the conflict so that he can transform us and then we can watch his will come about. The sign of the Israelites crossing the Jordan at the flood stage was the mechanism. It was the purpose. And we have to see it that way. We see it in their lives. We see it in our big brother Israel. What about ours? These flood stage signs are the mechanism, the process by which we are being transformed as we step into the promise of God. They heard the word. They saw the sign and they got to work. Come on. And it wasn't over. On the other side of that Jordan was Nephilim. But wait, there's more. Giants. More flood stages that they had to cross, but they knew that God was with them. Look at verse 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. That's what we have to do. Yeah. We hear the word, we see the signs, and we just have to do what has been commanded us. The Lord is calling this church to some extraordinary things, some beautiful things, 
some things that are changing lives in here and will change lives out there. Yeah. And so often it feels like they're at flood stage. And yet we can move forward because the God that was with us in the past is with us now. And he's going to be with us moving forward. Come on. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 17 and see this further. 1 Samuel 17, starting at 32. Come on, say get the work. Take yourself, get the work. Self, get the work. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out. You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. See, now David, David was called to be a shepherd by his father in more ways than one. Which father, you might ask? The answer is yes. But in that, he heard the commands of God. He heard the covenant promises that God had given his father, Abraham. And he heard how, that, how those promises uh, led to, to Moses bringing the people out. David knew about this. He heard about Joshua and men like Caleb. As a matter of fact, David had a little bit of Joshua and Caleb in him. It's almost like when, when all the men around him would not go up and fight. He's like, no, I'll go. God said it. I heard God's word. This Philistine, I'm getting ahead. Let's read. I'm getting ahead of myself. He is receiving discouragement based on his convictions. He's being persecuted by his brothers, by those that, that should support him, right? And we may look at that as a discouragement, but it sounds like reverse validation to us. It sounds like a sign that, son, you are moving in the right direction because when other men won't fight, I have men who will. He's teaching them to leave what's behind and strain towards what's ahead. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has, both, has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David had a, had a call. He had a command to shepherd his father's sheep. He heard that. But as he was faithful to do what his father told him to do, God was developing in a sign in him that he did not recognize. A lot of times we want to know the sign before we actually do the work. We want to know uh, what's going to come about. Why am I doing this? Why, why, why does God have me at this job? Why, does he, why is he developing me this way? Why is he allowing, him be, uh, allowing me to be uncomfortable in this way? Why is he stirring up the hornets in this way? I don't want everybody to know that. God is transforming David, and David doesn't even know it. David didn't know when he was going to be standing, not just before Philistines. It's one thing to stand before your enemies. It's another thing to stand before somebody, uh, people who should be your brothers, who are lacking the conviction. And David is saying, no, I will go and fight him. David is receiving the sign of a shepherd. He had the sign of the slain lion and the bear. His daily task may have seemed mundane. It may have uh, been a perceived lack of uh, excitement and, and purpose and fulfillment. Or maybe even chaotic, depending on what day. I mean, I heard sheep can get crazy from the pastors. But in reality, it was the mechanism. It was the vehicle, the process that God was using to propel him, to transform him, to prepare him for the moment to face Goliath. And not just Goliath. There were many giants after Goliath. There was a giant temple that had to be built. But you know what? God was preparing David the entire time. And what could have uh, looked like a perceived lack, a perceived step back as being the son that was uh, pushed to the back, looked over, 
was actually God's sign developing David's character for the task that would come. Can you see yourself in David? Can you see yourself in, in Abraham and Moses? Can you see these things that might be perceived as a, as a lack? But God is actually developing something in you that you will need. Amen. He's giving you a sign to transform you, to move you, to Matthew Piro propel you into God's will, into his presence. He heard the word. He saw the signs and he got to work. Now, you may ask, what do all these, what do all these scriptures uh, have in common? Why, why are these scriptures moving uh, in, in us the way they are? One, we see this. All these scriptures have to do with Israel becoming a sign, with Israel growing up into God's promise, with Israel reigning and ruling with God as a partner with them. And all of these situations were chaotic. Say amen to that. In all of these situations, there was a, per, a, a perceived physical uh, lack. There was a perceived uh, um, need of some sort. But what it actually was, that what that chaotic situation actually was, it was the mechanism. It was the process. It was the way in which God was transforming his people through carrying out his will. And in every case, and I mean every case, God was given the victory as they held to his word. Come on, church. We have to hold to his word. That's what starts the process, and that's what's going to finish the process. We hold to God's word. We perceive the signs that he has put before us. And then we get to work. Somebody say, get to work. Go to Psalm 33. What I love about this is when we start at the right end of the book, when we start with Israel, it gives us proper perspective of where we are today. When we look at Abraham's life, when we look at Moses' life, when we, when we look at Joshua, when we look at David, it gives us encouragement today for where we stand. Psalm 33, picking up in verse 4, says this. For the word of the Lord is right and true. Somebody amen. say amen. amen. He is faithful in all he does. Yes. The, love, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Man, can we take confidence in that? Yeah. When God speaks, it shall stand firm. Yeah. The promises to you, the promises to your family. If he commanded it, it stands firm. Even in the book of Job, it says that we're to look to the animals, to ask the animals, the birds of the air, and say, who has made all this? In his hand is the very breath of life. We can take confidence in that. That if the sparrow does not worry about the food that it's going to eat or where it's going to sleep, how much more you as a son and as a daughter? Yeah. Look, he commanded it and it stood firm. Verse 10, he foils the plans of the nations. Can we not take confidence in that? Yes. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No matter what the enemy sets before us, it says here that he foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout, through all generations. Amen. Blessed is the nation on, whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Come on. Church, that should make you excited. It should make you excited that the God above all God, the king above all kings, has chosen one nation as his people, as his chosen inheritance. And why should you be excited? Because it was a mystery that you were grafted into that. Yeah. See, we went from goat worshiping idols to being sons of the living God. Come on. How, how much confidence should we have in that? See, in this passage, we see a large prophetic pattern at work here that all of God's words are faithful and it will come to pass. See, prophe prophecy is a cyclical pattern. God's promises to Israel are a cycl cyclical pattern. 
And victory as a result of holding to God's word is also a cyclical pattern. Come on. Did you catch that? I'll say that again. Prophecy. It's a pattern. God's promises to Israel is a pattern. It, It happens in waves. It happens in cycles. And the victory as a result of holding on to God's word is also a pattern. Come on. I love what Bim said when he started that, that part. He says, when you start at the right end of the book, you can know the effect that it will have on you. We just walked through the beginning of Israel's inception on to, uh, to David's time, and we will go further. But we see a pattern that God speaks to his people. He speaks his word to his people. He gives them signs, and they go to work. To this very day, they went to work. You know why? Because we're talking about it right now. They didn't drop the ball. And if he'll do that for them, if he is faithful to his people, Israel, how much more, how much more will he be faithful to you? We have been joined to the promises of Israel, and we can look at God's faithfulness to them, his pattern of prophecy to them, and see how he's going to help produce that victory in our lives. Do you get that? 1 Corinthians 15, 10, get there. Come on. When Judah say that, I hear, I hear necks get straight. Backs get straight. Get to work. Speaking to get to work. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was, his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was at work within me. You see this. God's grace is not without effect in his people. As they hold on to his word, as you hold to his word, as you see the signs to step up and step in, and you get to work, his grace will actually give you power. What is grace? The power to say no to ungodliness. The power to accomplish his will on the earth. That is what is at, at, our, at, our, at our fingertips if we hold to his word. And we know this to be true because we can look at the pattern that we see in Israel. And see, if he did it for them, and he's still doing it for them, he'll do it for us. Paul says here, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I cannot help but to relate to this. (laughs) By the grace of God, I am what I am. Come on. Church, if you actually make that personal to you, that means your age, your background, your perceived ability does not matter. Abraham is 99. What could he possibly do? Apparently, he could do a lot by believing God's word and produce a nation. Come on. Moses is 80 years old on the backside of a desert. What could he possibly do? I don't know. Maybe, maybe save an entire nation out of a world superpower with signs and wonders and miracles. Our God knows what we are. Yeah. He's not surprised. He's not like, Lord, um, uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm an engineer. I don't know if you can use me. The Lord does not care. He knows what we are. And by care. the grace of God, we are what we are. And his grace was not without effect inside of us. It causes us to work. It causes us to move forward. It causes us to hear his word, see the perceived sign, and to get to work. See, we can see this in Paul's life. He heard the word. He saw the signs, and he got to work. In fact, in Acts chapter 9. Get there. Get to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read something just to tie this in for you. In Acts 9 verse 15, the, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Paul had an experience with the Lord. And Ananias is now speaking to God. This is, this is interesting. I was talking to Linton about this the other day. If you read very carefully in Acts chapter 9, God is talking to Ananias and says, hey, go to Straight Street 
and go lay your hands on a man named Paul. He has seen a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him. You guys tracking with me? God is telling this, to, and telling this to Ananias, and he's giving Paul a vision about Ananias coming to lay hands on him. Then God goes to Ananias and said, hey, this is what you're going to do. How much confidence does God have in his own leading? How much confidence does God have in, in leading his own sons? He gives a man a vision that has not happened yet, and then speaks to the man who's going to fulfill that vision and say, hey, now go. Come on. Our God he calls his shots. It's almost like he knows the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, he says, my counsel will stand and I will do all that I please. He says that Paul's his chosen instrument. That's why Paul can have so much confidence in 1 Corinthians 15 that his grace in me was not without, without effect. I am what I am and his grace is working something powerfully in me. Go to the book of John chapter 10. Come on, get to work. Pick up in verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, cannot be broken. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do, even though you don't believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Somebody say that's deep. The scripture cannot be broken. The prophetic pattern of scripture cannot be broken. When Jesus is talking here, he's affirming everything that came from the prophets, everything that came from Jeremiah, everything that came from Obadiah, everything. And he's saying that it cannot be broken until it is fulfilled. It will stand. And that's awesome. You see, God was confident in Ananias. Ananias, I already told Paul you was coming, so get up and go. I know he's, he's persecuted your brothers. Go. God was confident to lead. And we see that and we're like, yes, my God is awesome. And the word that he gave you is the same way. He is confident in his ability to lead. I I promise you that. It's coined in a phrase that says, God is able to lead better than we're able to follow. But you know what? We can look back and see how God has led us. So the word that he gives you now, you got to get to work. You got to see the sign. You got to see the perceived like that is actually the mechanism, the process by which God is saying, step up. I've called you right here, right now. Romans 11. We guys get there, say get to work. Romans 11, pick it up in verse 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much, how much greater how much riches greater? will their full inclusion bring? Amen. I'm going to read that again. How much greater will the riches of their full inclusion bring? Verse 13, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and to save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but from life from the dead? So this process has been going on since, since Abraham. Hearing the word, perceiving the signs and the lack within your own self, believing God regardless of how you feel and getting to work, that has made its way to us. We see it from the book of Mark to where we are now. And if Israel's rejection brought reconciliation to you, to me, how much more would their acceptance be from life for the dead? Now, we know this is going to happen. The word of God is true. It stands firm forever. But in order 
for there, there to be an acceptance that brings about the resurrection of the dead, what must we do? We got to get to work. Come on. It took work to get to us. Now we hear God's word. See, whatever perceived light that we might have, the signs, and we move forward because this will happen. It's God's word. See, God's purposes are his glorious church. It was a mystery that we could be grafted into this beautiful family. In this body, we are maturing and learning our function in God's plainly stated purpose. Not just for helping this life in heaven and the next. That's garbage. God has a plan for this body. And he's given us purpose. He's given us leaders to give us foresight and give us vision for where we're headed. And here's the purpose. That the Gen- Gentile remnant will become a sign to the, ap- to, to the apple of God's eye, the Jews. We know that they're a sign. And as we're grafting into this family, God is making us sign as we, signs as we're getting to work. That we might be assigned to his people say, your God saved us. Your God brought us into this family. We have to step up. We have to raise up. We have to step into the function that we might bring glory to him and become a sign to his people. Come on, church. Israel was a sign, is a sign to the entire world about God's faithfulness about God's ability to transform, about God's ability to bring his promises to pass. That is who Israel is. It's them first. Make that clear. It is Israel first. And as a Gentile remnant, we get to join in their promises. We get to join God's faithfulness to them so that we can then turn and be a sign to them about what their God has done. We are partnering with God in his purposes, not him and ours. We want God to receive his bride. We want God to receive his church. We want God to receive his sons. Scripture says that he's going to beckon to the Gentiles and they're going to carry Israel on their backs back to Jerusalem. That is what we are purposed to do. That is what that map is about. But in order for that to happen, in order for that to take place, we got to get to work. We got we to gotta see his signs. We got to hear his word, and we got to get to work. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, pick it up in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Man, that is a guarantee. It is a guarantee that the God of peace, the God of shalom, his right order, he is going to sanctify us as we get to work, as we move in his will, as we move in his direction. It says our soul spirit and body will be kept blameless. It's almost like he who began a good work inside of you is faithful to complete it. He will do it. See, our God starts something and he finishes. He can start something and the rest of the world might might think it's it's, it's done with. It's failed. It, It somehow did not come to pass. But we know God's pattern. We know that if he calls his shots like in Isaiah 55, his word will never, ever return to him void until it accomplishes what he set it out to do. So his word to Steve Thomas and your family, that word will never return to God void until it accomplishes everything that he spoke to you. We can put our our life, we can put our stake on on what God said. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, picking up in verse 3. It says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. This is Israel was speaking about. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. If we're taking this passage seriously from Hebrews, here at LCM, we are not ignoring the work. We're getting to the work. We're getting in the truck, and we're moving forward in what God is saying. 
See, our, fa- our father is faithful. That as, as we step forward into what he's doing, as we hear the word, as we see the signs, as we perceive it and we get to work, something beautiful happens and it takes place in Mark chapter 16. Let's go back to Mark 16. And as you get there, I want to read you another scripture. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. That is who our God is. He can send a word. He can give a sign. He can cause you to get to work. And then what you cannot do in and of your own self, his spirit rushes in to renew you. His spirit rushes in to bring his promises to pass in your life through you. Let's see how that happens in Mark 16. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs and wonders that accompanied it. When we hear his word, when we see the signs to step into it, and we get the work, he sends his spirit. He sends his spirit to work with us to accomplish his will. How many of you want to work with God to accomplish his will? We got to get to work. We got to get to work with the word that he has given us. We got to step into the signs that he has shown us. And we got to get to work. And he will empower you. He will move you. He will strengthen you to do exactly what he said would happen. He confirmed it in his word. And you know what? It's about him. It's his word and his will and his purpose. As we align ourselves with his purpose and get to work, he works with us in confirming his word by signs that attest and accompany it. He gave Abraham more signs after he got to work, not less. Do you realize that? When he spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17, that was not the end. When he spoke to to Moses in in, uh, Exodus 3, that was not the end. Even when he crossed through the Red Sea, that was not the end. We see this pattern that once we get to work, God gives us more signs. And then we go back to his word, and we see the signs to step in, and, he, and we go to work, and he gives us more signs. This is a perpetual pattern, church. And if he is doing it in Israel currently, we know that he will be faithful to bring it about in us. He gave the nation of Israel and Joshua more signs after they got to work. Remember, they had giants to kill, and so do you. He did it for Paul. How much more will he do it for you? He has given you and will give you more signs as you hear his word. See the signs that are already before you and get to work, church. Stand up with me. Our fathers get to us in this house. And he knows exactly what we need. He's faithful to speak to us his word that stands firm forever. We start off with Psalm 119 about having our eyes open. That was the first scripture we kicked off the sermon with. As we get ready to respond, our prayer is that our eyes and our ears are able to perceive and to hear God's word. And in stepping forward to do the work that he's called us to do, that he would give us an undivided heart. He would strengthen us. He would empower us. We in this house are being given signs all around us. They come in the form of family. They come in the form of things blown up at work. They come in different shapes and sizes. We're given these signs, and they're really a mechanism, a vehicle, a process to move us into the transformation that is so required in this life. And we are being empowered to do his will on earth. As we are transformed by this process, we become signs that point to God's purpose ultimately being accomplished. Our Father knows exactly how to get our attention. 
No different than me being able to get the attention of my daughter. And he's speaking to us in this room tonight. Where in your life have you been avoiding the flood stages? You've heard the word and you see the signs. What are you going to do about it? We're going to get to work. Abraham at 99 can get to work. Moses at 80 years old can get to work. Joshua can lead 2 million people into a promised land to fight, fight giants, and he can get to work. There is nothing in front of us that we cannot press into. We've heard his word. We see these signs all around us. Now it's time to get to work, church. As I start to pray, you do exactly what you know to do. You guys are sons and daughters of God. The spirit is moving in our midst now. You speak to your father and you listen for his voice. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to your word. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us in this house. Lord, we want our eyes and our ears to be open to your word. Lord, we perceive these things all around us, Lord God, these signs that are, that are pointed to some lack that we have within us. But Lord, we know your character, that you are the one who is able to start a work and you are able to complete the work. Father, as we cry out to you, as we exalt your holy name, Lord, would you breathe upon your people tonight and would you empower us and make a sign and a wonder, Lord God, that speaks about your character and ultimately your will, that the nation of Israel, Lord God, might be rightly again, rightly again, Lord God, standing before you, worshiping you as a sign and as a symbol to the nations in the name of Jesus.